right, let's open up our Bibles today to Luke chapter 16. As we continue our journey through Luke, you know, we come to a place where I think we, we're going to kind of slow down a little bit because it's not this long chunk of verses that tell a story. These are a couple of truths that stand alone. Um, and we're going to see today how important it is. Because look what Jesus says in Luke 16, beginning in verse 16. It says that the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Here we see the Lord sharing some important truths with us. And I think that um, for us as Christians in the year 2011, 2012, we're going to see how relevant they really are. You know, because I think a lot of times, even within the church, there's confusion. There's a misunderstanding about the old covenant, about the new covenant, about the old system, about the new Savior, about the old rules and regulations and the new relationship, how things are different now than they were in the Old Testament. A lot of, a lot of times there's confusion over the power of the Word of God and how every single letter, every single part of every single letter in the Bible will come to pass. And so Jesus here, what he's doing is he's ministering to the religious leaders. Now remember, the religious leaders were not coming to Christ. They were not surrendering their heart to him. And so he says some things, I think, that within that context we can understand. But I think in our own life, we might not be the religious leader or the Pharisees, but I think that there's a lot of application. And the first thing he shares with us, I'm going to give you a few words. The first word is the word dispensation dispensation he says right there notice again in verse 16 that the law and the prophets were until john the law and the prophets now that's another way of saying the old testament uh, if you remember you've got 66 books in, in your bible 39 of them are the old testament from genesis all the way to malachi moses was the writer of the law genesis through deuteronomy and it's for this reason, when you study the scriptures, you'll notice that the law and the prophets are at times simply referred to as Moses and the prophets. The law and the prophets. The Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. As a matter of fact, if you look down in the same chapter right here, look what it says in verse 29. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. In verse 31, he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Basically, it's the way of summarizing the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. When you read the Old Covenant, again from Genesis to Malachi, you'll find that it was filled with many, many, many laws. Many rules and regulations and aspects of religion. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you'll find the temple and the temple sacrifices. When you read the Old Testament, you see the separation in society. 
of people and priests and the covenant, how even the common person and all those things. When you read the Old Testament, you're going to find contrasts that are so different from the new covenant. You know, we see that in the Old Testament. Remember, if you sinned, um, if, if you were in the old dispensation or the old covenant, you would literally have to take your, your animals, you know, your, your lamb, your turtle dove, whatever it was, and you would have to go down to the temple. Think about this. And you could be, you know, 30 miles away, 40 miles away, and you would have to take it there. They would inspect your sacrifice. If everything was cool, there were no blemishes, you got the approval, then you could have that sacrificed. And then, and only then, would you be forgiven of your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty cumbersome, huh? Because we sin. You know, we blow it. You know, I know if it was me, I would go, I would you know, offer my sacrifice. And on the way back, I'd sin again, probably. <laughs> And then I'd have to go back and offer a sacrifice. I mean, basically, if it was me, I think I would have to live by the temple, right? Live by the tabernacle. But that was life in the Old Testament. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, you could not enter into the presence of God. You could not. You know, we know God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But in His special manifestation... You could not enter into the special manifestation of the presence of God in the Old Testament. And that's why when you study the tabernacle and you study the temple, what you would find was there was a separation. You had the holy place. And then you had a four-inch veil that separated you from the most holy place, from the throne of God, from the presence of God. And there, even in the Old Testament, when they had all the sacrifices and all the system revealed to Moses, there on the mountain you would find that even the high priest could only enter into the presence of God once a year on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement. I mean, in the Old Testament, this is so different than the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, your sins were not really forgiven. The Hebrew word is the word kofar. They were covered. They were swept under the carpet. And what you find and what the Lord is going to share with them is that, man, you Jewish guys, you know, you're into this rules and regulations religion and and I'm now going to come and establish a relationship. You've got this system and I want to give you salvation. I want to give you a savior. What he's basically saying is that the old covenant is now coming to an end. Jesus is teaching us about a time of transition That the law and the prophets, it says right here, that the Old Testament, that the Old Covenant was until John. Until John. And John is like this holy hinge in which now there's going to be a swinging of the door and a transition of covenants. And he tries to tell them that. He says there in verse 16 that the law and the prophets were until John. There's that dispensation But then we move now to proclamation. Because look what we read. It says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. He's trying to tell them that. There's something different going on now, you guys. I'm preaching the kingdom of God. My apostles are being sent to preach the kingdom of God. 
know, John the Baptist was the holy hand. He was kind of an in-between. God used him as a transition. But now there was a different message. Jesus and his apostles were not preaching the law necessarily. They were preaching the Lord. It wouldn't be about rules and regulations. It was now about relationship. It was no longer a system. It was now a savior. They were now reaching. They were now preaching the kingdom of God. It's a phrase you find 69 times in the Bible. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. As God began to speak this message. If you go back to Luke. Look what it says in chapter 4. In verse 43. Look at verse 42. It was a day he departed and went to a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. You know, I mean, imagine you guys, in all honesty, I don't care how good your pastor is, okay? <laughs> but Jesus comes in one day and he's the guest, he's the guest preacher, man, the, the guest teacher. Wouldn't you want him to stay? Or let's just say you went to the city over there and there's this guy, you know, he sets up a tent and it's Jesus. And he teaches. I mean, wouldn't you want to start a church right there? Let's do it now. I don't care. No fancy building necessary, man. You are Jesus. There's no one who teaches like you, Jesus. I mean, they wanted to stay right there. And so they're looking for him, right? When they find him, they say, hey, everybody's looking for you. But look what the Lord says in verse 43. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. You see, Jesus came to do what? To preach the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of man. Not the kingdom of religion. Not the kingdom of systems the kingdom of God. And that meant so much. You know, we find that phrase, the first time is over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, in which Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The priority of our life should be the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God, it speaks of heaven you know how to make sure that you get there how many of you want to go to heaven when you die set of curiosity how many of you here want to experience heaven while you live it's still the kingdom of god it's this place where our king rules you know it's where we learn the the code of conduct as citizens of the kingdom of god and you read about it and jesus teaches about it over and over again. Mark 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Therefore he says. And believe in the gospel. You see and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And you know. You know you, you got to come to the Lord. And, and some people are wondering. Well, why isn't it working for me? Why isn't it working for me? I go to church. I got a sticker. I got a t-shirt. I know four verses. And the Lord says it's simple. You have not repented of your sins. You're still holding on to your sins. And that's why God is not working in your life. Because Jesus, when he came, he taught us about how the kingdom of God operates. A lot of times people are there and they haven't repented of their sins and they feel sorry for themselves. They feel like they're a victim. You're not a victim. 
you're not. Because God's promises are true. And if you repent of your sins, He will bless your life. That's the kingdom. That's when God rules in your life. That's when you enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. And He just was teaching about the kingdom. It says later in Mark chapter 9, verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. I mean, whatever is necessary. Manny, you talked about repentance. Yeah, real repentance. Severe repentance. I mean, if, you know, I mean, not literally, you're not going to literally take your right eye out, but you literally have to surgically, spiritually, with a spiritual scalpel, remove the sin in your life. Because what good would it be for you to hold on to your sin and go to hell? What good would that be? Let it go. Turn from it and trust in God, right? I mean, he teaches about the kingdom of God in Luke 18, 16, and 17. Jesus called them to him and he said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You know, kids are beautiful, huh? Don't you love children? If you don't, you leave right now, okay? I love kids, man. And I love the way that they're so, um, you know, trusting you know, you, uh, one of the things that kind of grieves me is you can teach them about Santa Claus and they'll believe in Santa Claus. Why would you lie to them? There's no Santa Claus. And then when they grow up, they find out, oh, my parents are liar, man. <laughs> you know? But you take them at a young age and even while they're in their mother's womb and you tell them about Jesus, you tell them about the Lord, you tell them about God, and they'll believe you hook, lie, and sinker, simple faith, they trust. And the Lord says, that's the way the kingdom of God is. You know, Manny, you're telling me to repent. You're telling me to severely repent. Yeah, but it's not because I don't like you or we don't love you. It's because God has an awesome plan for your life. And you can trust him. Just like this little kid. Trust his mom and dad. You see, that's the kingdom of God. And when you read the Bible, you know, it's this amazing thing. You know, the Old Testament is this dispensation. You know, he says that the law and the prophets were until John. And God spoke at various times through all these prophets in the past. But now he's spoken to us through his son. And when his son came, he knew everything. And he preached. There's this proclamation. It goes from dispensation to proclamation. The kingdom of God. And it's an awesome thing when you read it. And you see what the Lord is doing. And it just breaks your heart how some people, like the Pharisees, they wouldn't listen. The Lord is trying to teach them. Man, there's so much more. The law and the prophets were until John. And then the kingdom of God is being Proclaim this dispensation, the proclamation. And so what happens? What happens if you begin to believe? 
this proclamation? Well, the next word is the word salvation. Because look what it says here again in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, And the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is pressing into it. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Everyone's pressing into it. Well, there's a couple of guys that believe it means that everyone is being urged uh, to enter it. They're kind of being, you know, pressed into it. And that's a possibility. But most commentators and most translations will tell you that what it means is that that those who are responding are pressing into it themselves. William McDonald said, everyone pressing into it means that those who did respond to the message literally stormed the kingdom. It's a real interesting word. It's a word that means violence. It's a word that means force. It's a word that speaks of aggressively, you know, pursuing something, pressing into something. You know, and, and what the way it works, you guys, is like, is like, is like this. Here you are with all your sins. And there is no hope for your sins. There is no way you could ever lift the burden of the sins. And you walk around with the burden of sins all your life. The broken heart, the emptiness, the addictions, the afflictions, the power and penalty of sin are always on your life. And then one day, you hear about this Savior who can take all of that away. And not only will He set you free, but He will freely set you free. It's the good news. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How we are sinners and our Savior died for us there on the cross. And all we have to do is repent of our sins and crown Him as King. Receive Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. And we will be free. We will be forgiven. I mean, it is the best news you will ever hear in your entire life. You know, it'd be kind of like if I was to tell you, hey, today at 11.30 at Sam's Club, they're giving away a 46-inch Vizio LCD flat screen for $10, okay? I mean, people would be pressing into it, right? You would run down there. Um, Or whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe you like In-N-Out. You're like, free cheeseburgers, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. You know, we got these deals and we see people, they run here and they run there after those things. You know, we've heard even some stories of people trampling people, huh, when the doors open. Isn't it crazy? That's the type of pressing in, though, he's talking about, but this time not for some flat screen TV. This time for love. This time for life. This time for something that God wants to give you. And a lot of times people are not pressing in. They're not, they're not, man, aggressively, spiritually, violently 
passionately pressing in. And the Lord is saying to these guys, what's up? Why not? You see, this is salvation for us. It's free. It's called the free gift in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. And it sets us free. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 4, verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You know, when I think of freedom as a Christian, I know it means a lot of different things. When I came to Christ back in 1989, I was addicted to drugs. I was engaged in lifestyle that I could not change. I was in bondage to sin. I would never be able to stop cussing, much less anything else, you know. God set me free from drugs and alcohol. But you want to know something? Not only will he set you free from those things, did you know that the primary thing we read in the Bible that God sets us free from is religion? Primarily from religion. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, you don't have to worry whether or not God loves you because, you, you know, you didn't perform. You don't have to worry whether or not you're going to go to heaven because maybe you stumbled a couple of times. I'm not saying you go and you sin, you do it presumptuously, repeatedly, insistently, and persistently because then that probably shows that you don't really know the Lord. But when you know the Lord... And, and you go through and you're set free from the bondage of religion. And you enter into a relationship with God in which you understand that His love never fades, His love never changes, His love never fluctuates. That this God that we serve has promised to be with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. That's the type of thing that that sets us free. And you want to know what that does to me? It, it sets me free to obey Him. You know, because love is really the primary motivator for obedience. And all I'm saying is that, man, this is so good that we press into it. It's available to anyone. If you're here today and you're a tax collector, okay, don't tell anybody that you're a tax collector. <laughs> but, um, it's available to you. If you're here today and you're a prostitute, you're a pimp, it's available to you. If you're here today and you're an adulterer, maybe you're addicted to pornography, doesn't matter. It's available to anyone. And what ends up happening is God makes sinners winners, right? When we repent of our sins and he makes failures prevailers because Jesus Christ comes into our life. You see, the Old Testament said do. I want you need to do all these things. But the New Testament says done. And that's what the Lord is trying to tell these guys. Listen, there's something new going on here. There's a transition that you need to be made aware of. And so it's a contrast. But, and here's the way it ends. Does that mean that we no longer need the Old Testament? Because there are some churches that teach that. Did you know that? There are some Christian churches that teach you don't really need to read the Old Testament. You know, I knew this one guy, and he loved the Lord, but he was wrong in this area. 
oh, we don't really need the Old Testament. Now all we need to do is a new, a new Testament. Sometimes we have Christians, they've been Christians for a year, two years, three years. They haven't read their whole Bible. And you wonder, why not? You need to know that even though we're under this new dispensation, you know, we, we've traveled now from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, we still need to read and heed the Old Testament. As long as we read it in the light of the New Testament and understand the way it all works. Because we move now from dispensation and proclamation and salvation to inspiration. Because look what we read last. It says right here in verse 17, And it is easier. If you have a New Living Translation, it's different, huh? It says, but. The Lord is saying, but. Don't think you don't need the Old Testament. But, listen, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Oh yes, man, we still need to read and heed the Old Testament. It's all profitable and it's all infallible. We need to know that the law and the prophets will not pass, it will actually come to pass. We just need to read the Old Testament with New Testament light. You're going to find that as you read the Old Testament, you know, Sandy Adams, he said this statement, and you need to take it, you know, in context, that it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And you know what that means? Not that you need to read the whole Bible to get saved, but, you know, you begin to understand the lessons of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you read the whole thing over and over and over again. And you turn off the television and you begin to read your Bible by faith over and over and over again, what you're going to find is that you'll possess promises that you can stand on. You see, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law, so we're no longer need to offer temple sacrifices. And we re- understand that when we read Leviticus, you know? And we see that when we read the Old Testament that Jesus is the one that it pointed all to. He's our sacrifice fulfilling the ceremonial law. The book of Hebrews explains this to us. When we read the Old Testament, we need to know that the civil law was a law for the nation of Israel, a theocracy. And not all of that in the Old Testament would be best to be applied to us today. It was given to them then. And so you read the Old Testament with New Testament light. I've told you many times it's okay to have bacon now, right? It's okay to have lobster now. It's okay to have, you know, garments with maybe linen and cotton that are mixed. In the Old Testament, civil law of Israel wouldn't be okay. It's okay to get a tattoo. And you're like, no, it's not, man. Don't say that. Don't say that. You know, a lot of times I talk to people and they say, no, you can't get a tattoo. It's in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible in the Old Covenant civil law of Israel. You know, so I'm not telling you to get a tattoo because I know there's a social stigma to that. But God looks at the heart. Don't get anything weird. You know, you can get La Chalie. I'll get La Chalie right here. She'll be okay with that, right? (laughs) My wife's name right here. You know, trust in the Lord. She wants me to get a tattoo. I don't know if it's going to happen, you know, because part of me is like, well, I don't want my son to get a tattoo. And it's so funny because we're so, 
you know, we we just got our, our, our cultural things, and, and that's okay. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But, man, whatever you do, do not judge somebody because they have a tattoo. Because we need to know that the Old Testament, it was there, the law and the prophets were there until John. Okay? Understand that. Now Jesus is this proclamation of the kingdom of God. This is the way it works. Love your enemies. Love everybody. Love God. Salvation. You'll, if you listen, you'll be saved. And then you understand that the way that it works is God wants to work in our life. And God wants to transform us in the image of his son. And God will change you and me by the word of God. We learn it, we read it, we heed it, we understand the way that we're supposed to live our life. It's not a mystical thing. It's not a subjective thing. It's an objective truth. But it's in the old and it's in the new. It's the whole package. As long as you read everything within the context of what Jesus teaches. And so we need to read the old dispensation with discernment. But whatever you do, don't think it's null and void. No, it's not at all. You know, Jesus uses radical terminology here to emphasize that. He says, listen, you know, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. That's how powerful the Old Testament is. That's how important it is for you to know Zephaniah and Zechariah and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomies and Psalms and Proverbs Hosea and Amos, the whole Bible. Read it, study it, know it, learn it. You know, heaven and earth will pass away one day. Uh, We know according to the scriptures that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Some of you think it's going to be like Hawaii. No, it's not. It's going to be way better than Hawaii, you guys. There are no words to describe how awesome heaven will be. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Think about that. The earth and the heaven, they fled away because they're bad. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We read in 2 Peter 3.10 that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will all be burned up. That house that you're worshiping, it's going to, first of all, be turned into dust. Then it will be burned. It will pass away. That Whatever it is, those things that we value so much, it's all going to pass away. But the Lord here, His emphasis is not necessarily that. He just says, you know what? Even though you look at this big old planet Earth, and when He speaks of the heavens... He's not just talking about, he's talking about our atmosphere. He's talking about our entire universe. The entire stars, planets, galaxies. Think about how hard that would be to wipe it all out. The heavens and the earth. To wipe all that out. I don't care how big of a bomb you got. That might not be too easy, huh? But the Lord says it would be easier for that to happen than for the smallest Hebrew stroke to fail. 
And so when you understand that's what the Bible is, it makes me want to know. It makes me want to study. It makes me want to consume His Word with my heart for God to do a work. That's what Jesus is saying. The Lord says in Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, Don't think that I came to destroy the law or to the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, amen, amen, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I love those scriptures. Real quick, if you go over to Joshua, mark your place in Luke. And I I just love Joshua in chapter 21. Notice what it says here in verse 44. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed. Oh, isn't that cool? Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now we see the same thing over in Joshua chapter 23. He says basically the same thing. It says in chapter 23, verse 14, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing, not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Man, isn't that cool? No, one day we'll be home in heaven, and there'll be no more tears. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. One day we'll be home. We'll see God. And there'll be those trees giving their fruit. Every month a different fruit. And there'll be this stream flowing from the throne of God. And we'll see Jesus. You know, one day we'll be home and we're going to talk. We're going to say, wow, wasn't the rapture cool? You know, if we got raptured, that rapture was pretty awesome, huh? You know, or how about the tribulation king? Oh, man, that was the millennial kingdom. Wasn't that cool? Hey, what do you think about that when we were riding that white horse with Jesus? Wasn't that cool? All the things that we read in the Bible all come to pass. We reconcile with loved ones. We'll see Paul and Abraham, all these guys. We will trip out. We will say, wow, not one thing, not one tittle of the law has failed. You know, one interesting thing we're going to see later on in Luke, Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Not only is he speaking of the authority of the Old Testament, there he's speaking of the authority of the New Testament. Everything will come to pass. You see, and that's why it's important for us to understand these things as Christians. Because some Christians, they don't understand. They don't understand 
you know, when they read the Old Testament, that they read, need to read it with New Testament light. Or they go to the other end of the spectrum and they don't read the Old Testament at all. And so we need to understand this so that God can then work in our life. We need to press in to this great salvation, this proclamation of the kingdom of God and live as citizens of the Lord. Man, I encourage you. And it was kind of cool. After the first service, I talked to a few people who confessed their sins. And I told them to say, Ten Hard Fathers. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they told me, they said, You know what? I've been a Christian for this amount of time and I haven't even read the whole Bible yet. And then, boom, one after. And then I'm like, Man, you don't know what you're missing. You do not know what you're missing. I mean, where would I be today? Where would I be if I didn't understand the lesson of Joseph? In the book of Genesis, man, how Joseph went through all the trials that he went through for 13 years. He was locked up. He was a slave. He was falsely accused. For 13 years, he was living with the understanding that his brothers hated him. But the Bible says God was with him, right? God was with him. And then when you read the whole story, you realize that God was preparing him for something so great to use his life to save Israel. Where would we be without that lesson? Where would I be without the lesson of Job? And here was a man, think about it, his children died. All of his children. You know, you could take my house, cool, I don't care. Take my clothes, my cars, Take all my money, I don't care. But my kids? But God was working. And we learned from Job, right? We learned from Job. He said, naked I came, naked I'll leave. It doesn't even matter. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Whatever happens in our life, we can trust the Lord knowing He's on the throne. We learn these examples. Where would I be without the lesson of Jonathan? You know, I, Jonathan's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. And when you study the life of Jonathan there, Saul's son, you realize, man, this guy should have been king. I mean, in, in one sense, I think he was even greater than David. He was. He was a great warrior. He had so much faith. But what ended up happening, when God showed him, no, I want David to be king, he was not bitter about it. Some people get bitter in the ministry. Well, I want that position. Or, and you know what? Jonathan is a lesson for us. And Jonathan said, you know what? I know the Lord has chosen you. I know it's the Lord. I'm going to support you. Get your right hand. I mean, we learn lessons. Where would I be without the lesson of Jonah? You know, Jonah was a man. God said, okay, I want you to go that way. I want you to go east. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach my word to them. Warn them. But Jonah, what did he do? He got in the ship and he went that way, man. Have you ever done that? God says, I want you to do this. And, and, you, and you don't. And you follow through. And so, you know, what did God do? God did say, okay, well, I'll see you later. What did God do? God went after him. God went to great lengths to meet Jonah. God sent a whole storm 
in the middle of the water. God prepared a special fish just for him. God swallowed him up and took him back to where he belonged. God vomited him up on the land. God used his life. Even though afterwards Jonah wasn't perfect. Jonah was kind of bummed. Man, God, I wanted you to you know, toast him and you didn't. Maybe you're here today and you're not a perfect person. You don't got it all together. Can God use your life? He can still use your life. Don't continue in sin. But understand the grace of God. He'll give you another chance. You got to learn these lessons. Where would I be without the lessons of Joseph, Jonathan, Job, and Jonah? And I hold on to those and I'm so blessed by them. But, and here's where I close. Where would I be without Jesus? So you've got your old covenant and you've got your new covenant. You've got your Old Testament. You've got your New Testament. And I love all these guys. But I'll trade them all in in a split second for my Jesus. And that's what the new covenant is all about, you guys. We need to enter in to this amazing relationship, covenant, agreement, this place that we have as Christians. I want to encourage you. Maybe you've already pressed in to be saved. Man, press in to be sanctified. Be passionate about this free transformation and gift that God wants to give to you, even as Christians. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and you're not a Christian, and you haven't been living for God, you know what? God brought you here today because He wants to change all that. He wants to wipe away all your sins. He wants to tell you loud and clear, I love you. I love you and I gave my son to die for you. And I want you to go to heaven when you die, but I won't force you. You need to make a decision. Do you want to follow the Lord? Wouldn't you want Jesus Christ to come into your life? Repent of your sins. Just say, Lord, help me to get rid of all this. I'm willing to get rid of all this stuff. And I'm willing to turn to you and trust you today as Lord and Savior. Just in case. Because I know, man, sometimes there are people that are hurting and going through things. And maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe your kids are, you know, gone and they're dusted. And maybe you find that, you know what, you don't even think that you can continue to live. Because without the Lord, the enemy, the devil, he strips you of hope. If that's you, then God wants you to come. And all you have to do is pray a prayer. You mean it from your heart. Right where you're at, you just pray this prayer. And you mean it. And you make make a deal with God. Say, Lord, I'm, I come to you today and I want to repent of my sins. Lord, I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me from this day forward to be a Christian and to live like one. Lord, I ask all these things. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer afterwards, we would love to talk with you. Now you can partake of communion with us. And, uh, you know, afterwards, I'd like to give you a Bible, help you along your way. If you're here today, and just in case, just in case, you know, you're not right with God and you don't want to get right with God, let me just give you a little warning. Don't take communion. Communion is for us sinners, yes, sinners, that want to grow. We want to get right with the Lord. We want to examine our life. We want Him to show us things that need to be changed. We're open. You know, but the Bible says that you can't do this lightly. This is not just, okay, we've got 10 minutes now, we've got to fill the service. No, this is a holy moment in which we come close to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, if you're here and you don't want, you're not serious, then don't take communion because you'll be bringing judgment on yourself. Okay? All right, let's pray one more time. Lord, as we partake of communion together, uh, Lord, we want to thank you for this new covenant, this new relationship that we have with you. And we want to press in. Even let this time of communion be a time of, of pressing in, Lord, and entering into a deeper relationship. If there's anything in our life that is wrong, God, help us now to see it and to repent of it. And even though we might not be able to walk geographically or you know, move physically, we can move spiritually. We can move in our hearts to where we need to be. And so we love you, Lord. We lift this communion time to you as we search our hearts. Lord, be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name.